Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Luke's English Podcast. Now this is the first in a series of two interviews with the German comedian Paco Erhardt. Now Paco is originally from Germany, but he has lived in America and in Spain, and he currently lives in London. He speaks four languages and is a proficient speaker of English. Paco is also a regular performer on the London comedy scene, and at the moment He's preparing a big one-hour comedy show which he will perform at the Brighton Comedy Festival and the Edinburgh Comedy Festival in August this year. Edinburgh is basically the world's biggest comedy festival, right? Now, Paco's uh, show, which he will be performing in Edinburgh in August this year, is called The Five-Step Guide to Being German. And it explores what it really means to be German in the modern world. It's very interesting from a kind of cross-cultural point of view. You can visit his website, which I highly recommend, because it's got lots of interesting details about his show and about himself. Uh, the website is www.germancomedy.com. Germancomedy.com, right? And there you'll find details of his five-step guide to being German. Now, if you're going to be in the UK um, in May or in August, then I really recommend that you go to either the Brighton Comedy Festival or the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. Brighton Fringe Comedy Festival happens in May, uh, throughout the whole month of May. But you can see um, Paco's show at a pub called The Hobgoblin, and he's performing there on May the 9th, May the 10th, May the 11th, May the 16th and May the 18th at 7.45pm at the Hobgoblin. And he's also uh, performing at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival all the way through the whole month from August the 4th to August the 28th. Uh, Do look at his his website for more information. As far as I can tell, he's performing at 6pm in Edinburgh at a place called the Three Sisters in the Gothic Room. So do check him out. Now, um, in this episode, uh, Paco talks about his experiences as a learner of English. He gives some really essential advice for anyone hoping to get a good level of English, right? Now, he's a, he's a good person to listen to because he speaks excellent English. Um, after he talks about uh, his experiences learning English, he then talks about his experiences of performing comedy in London in his second language, which is quite amazing, really. Um, not only has he learned English to a very high standard, he's also able to perform comedy in front of English audiences in that language. I can't imagine how difficult that would be, uh, but he does it. He does it very, very well, and he's very successful at it. So 
Paco is a great example of someone who has learned English to a very high standard. So he's proof that you can do it too. Okay? So just listen to the interview, enjoy it, pick up some um, bits of advice and tips from Paco, learn about his story and about how he has um, developed his English, and just enjoy the interview. If you have any questions, you can email me. Uh, the email address is Luke Teacher. That's L-U-K-E T A sorry, L-U-K-E-T-E-A-C-H-E-R at hotmail.com. There's no transcript for this interview. If you'd like to do one, you can. Please feel free to, to transcribe the interview and send it to me and I'll put it on the website. But um, you don't necessarily need a transcript. Just try and listen and just try and follow the conversation that we have. Okay, so that's it. I hope you enjoy the interview. Cheers from me. See you later. Bye, 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 bye. Enjoy the interview. Okay. Right. Actually, I've started recording, oh, Paco. Okay. So we, we do need to speak fairly clearly. Imagine that, uh, like... service anyway, sorry. Imagine you're li- um, there's sort of lots of learners of English all around the world listening to this, hanging on your every single word. Okay. Just desperately trying to understand exactly what we're saying in order to become, like, masters of the English language. <laughs> Which no is pressure. Easy, easy to do, really. <laughs> um, all right, so Paco, hello. Yeah. Hello there. Paco Erhardt. <coughs> Erhardt? Erhardt. Erhardt. Okay, that now... Pat, you're, you're from Germany, right? I am, yeah. Paco doesn't seem to be a particularly German name. It's not stereotypically German. It's not particularly my name. But no? It's, in, uh, it's, it's a nickname, really, that acquired because I, I lived ah. in Spain for eight years. And... Mm. Uh, my real first name is Erhard, actually. That is, in reality, my first name. Where but in Spain, nobody can pronounce that. Right. So, uh, at some point, uh, basically, my, my neighbor just, you know, called down from her floor. Aleman, Aleman, you know, German, German, I've forgotten your name again. Yeah. And I said, well, she can't keep on, you can't just, you know, call me German all the time. So I they, said, were, they, were, they were actually calling you German? That no, was... she was just, because she forgot, she'd forgotten my name. So just, you know, German guy, German guy, you know, yeah. forgotten your name again. What's your name? I said, okay, well, I said, basically, well, look, my, my middle name is Frank. Uh, so you can call me Franco. Uh, Franco? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's a bad, bad Didn't name in, like that. in Didn't Spain. really like that for some reason. Yeah, of course. So and, for, um, yeah, I'll explain that later if necessary. Well, yeah, well, no, for some reason, um, it's weird, but it's true. Uh, Paco is short for Francisco. Right. So basically, it's, it, it is a real version of my, my middle name. Right. So that's where I came from. Okay. And uh, I've you know, been stuck with it ever since. So you've kept it. Okay, so, um, so, so you, are, you are from Germany, yeah. even though Paco is just a, like a Spanish nickname you picked up. You're living in Tenerife, right? I lived in Tenerife for f- uh, five or six years. And before that, lived in Mallorca for half a year. And before that, in Valencia for a year. So okay. Cool. For quite a while. So... Um, when did you leave Germany then? Um, let me think. In 2002, I think. I think it was yeah. 2002, so yeah, yeah. Nine, nine years ago now. Yeah. Right, okay. And uh, how long have you been living here in the UK? Uh, just about two years. All right, okay. Um, so, like, that kind of brings me to the whole English thing. Yeah. This being Luke's English podcast. Yeah. Um, obviously, you speak kind of really proficient English. How did you manage... To, to get your English up to such a good level? Um, well, for one thing, I, I've been speaking it for 25 years now. So, I mean, it, um, how many languages do you speak? 
four, four and a half. If four you, and if a half. You, if, if you count my horrible French, <laughs> um, but no, it's that's not very good. But no, I speak I speak German, English, Spanish, and Italian. Really? <coughs> wow, that's that's very impressive. Um, so, which one is your second language? Oh, yeah, English, most definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. English, then, then Spanish, Spanish, then uh, then Italian. So you said you've been in, you've been speaking English for about twenty five years. Yeah. Um, so how did you first start speaking English then? Well, the first thing was really that my, my parents, when they didn't want me and my sisters and my brother to understand something, you know, like when they were talking about Christmas presents or whatever, yeah. they tended to speak English. Because yeah. well, My mum lived in London in the 60s for two years, and well, they spoke English, and for us it was just, you know, we need to understand this. So, Sorry, your, your parents would, um, if they wanted to keep something secret, yes. they would like use yes. English as a code language... Exactly, right. that big that we children didn't understand, right? And um, so, whenever they spoke this, this secret language, obviously we really wanted to know all the more yeah. what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so, when I was eight, I asked for a um, well cassette tape course back then. What a- nowadays would be a CD <laughs> course? So, a, like a, like an English course on on tape. On tape. Right, exactly. So um, I, when I was eight, I started learning English just by myself as much as I could, and uh, then school. Then I lived in America for a year when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. Wow, really? And uh, and all through my time in uh, in Spain, I mainly worked with British people. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you've kind of that that's that's so many different things, so many good Lots. experiences for for learning English. And I was pretty good at school too, uh, yeah. in, in languages at least. So I mean, like um, that question then is like, how did you get so proficient at English? I guess you've got like the, that influence from childhood of your parents speaking English sometimes. Yes, and so having then, the real motivation to learn it. Yeah, you were like, as a child, you're desperate to find out what your parents were talking about when they secretly used English to talk about your Christmas presents or something. Absolutely. So it's that, like that, that exposure to English as a child. And um, you lived in America for, for, a, for a year? Or yes, so I was an exchange student right. in North Carolina. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And uh, then you worked with English people in Spain for a number of years. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I get, uh, what I was going to ask you was... Um, like what do you think is like really important for learning English what's uh, have you got any advice or tips for people out there who are trying to learn English well most of all if you have the chance speak it go to where the people are who speak it that's the only real way to learn it mm. it's it's not enough to well, you can study grammar yeah all you want you can you know, start a vocabulary it's, it's yeah. not never going to stick for a long time yeah. un- unless you use it and yeah. if you use if you go to another country you might only speak three words of the language yeah. but if you just keep on trying you will speak 30 by the end of that day yeah. and yeah, yeah. it will just keep on growing I mean I've done it before when I, when I moved to Spain I yeah. spoke basically nothing of the language yeah. and it's physically tiring yes. uh, to speak a language and you're frustrated because you can't express all your thoughts but you and it's really exhausting yeah but you learn so quickly yeah and yeah. Again, it's of course and it's important too that when you notice that you don't know how to say a certain thing that you go back and look at your books and look how you how you could say this better yeah but um, that is just secondary to actually going out and speaking it and listening to it and that's really how you learn I so think. sort of like learning by doing 
or like survival learning yes there, I think there's no other way it's quite quite similar to comedy actually yeah uh, I had somebody who asked me was you know how, how should I do this how should I do comedy how should I write and I said I said how many gigs have you done and he said none I have my first next week but basically if you haven't ever done it we you wouldn't know what I'm even talking about. Yeah. If you see words on the page, you will never know how it's spoken in, in real life. Yeah, okay. So the, 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 the main point there, I guess, is that you just got to go out and do it, right? No other way. That's hard, though, isn't it, for some people in some countries who have no access to like native speakers of, of English, in this case. I mean, like, I get if in the absence of that, I mean, that's different to how you learned. <clears throat> yes. But like, that's the problem for a lot of people. They don't have access to native speakers of that language. Yes. Um, what do you reckon? Well, to be honest, in the end, you learn the language in order to speak it. So that that is your goal anyway. Yeah. So I mean, I think the, if you don't have access to English speakers. Uh, then that's one thing. Even though I think in most large, larger cities you have, well, uh, language groups or conversation yeah. groups uh, yeah. that you can join. And even in smaller villages, you probably have somebody who speaks the language. Yeah. Um, and you, you just have to, you know, if if you can, you have to do it somehow. The one important thing I think. Um, that is important for many people that you mustn't be afraid of doing it yeah. because it's very easy to say no I'm not good enough for that yet yes you are you might be crap at first mm. but you will learn and you will get better and I've had it in my life and lots of people have it that they postpone actually doing that thing yeah. uh, until they're good at it but you won't get good un un until you do it however well, listening to your podcast is probably a great <laughs> way because at least you listen to it then yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and trying trying to speak it um, I guess you've got to also try and enjoy it in some way too. oh yes like if, if you have no access to opportunities to speak yes then at least you've got to try and sort of get some English in your life Listen to music, watch films in English. Listen that's, to Luke's English podcast. And, and that's the most important thing of all. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so the main thing is, like, don't be shy. You've got to be confident. You've got to be brave enough to just go out there and open your mouth and try and survive in English. And so. people will help you. It's, yeah. People might be scared, oh, I will look stupid. No, people will be happy that you make the effort. Mm. They will want to help you. Yeah. And it's just, just go out there and do it, and it's going to be lovely, because that's, that's when it is fun. Yeah. When you speak to other people, that's fun, and you know, fun without fun, it's not worth doing it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so just, <clears throat> just do it then, yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Right, so... Um, so let's move on to another topic area, Paco, that not only are you kind of, not only have you kind of learned English to a really proficient level, but as well as that, you, you, do, you do comedy, right? You're a stand-up yes, comedian. Now, I am. If people listening to this podcast, if they've listened to previous episodes, they'll know that I do some comedy too and that it's a really uh, cool thing and very popular in London. Um, Paco, you do comedy as well, right? So how long yes. have you been doing comedy? How long have you been doing stand-up comedy then? Well, in the strict sense of the word, probably ever since I came here, so two years. Right. But, well, before that, in, in Germany, in, in Spain, occasionally, I, I did it for a few years before that, sporadically. <coughs> Sorry. 
sporadically. Um, yes, <laughs> occasionally sporadically. Off and on, sometimes. Off and on, <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, um, I was a, a compere in, uh, in, in Tenerife, meaning that um, I was on, on stage just how would you call it, introducing comedians and yeah. playing around with the audience, trying to make them laugh on a spontaneous level. You're like in, in, in Tenerife, um, there are these big tourist resorts where lots of English uh, tourists go for their summer holidays. And part of the tourist experience for them is not only spending some time on the beach and getting a suntan, but in the evenings going to the kind of entertainment show and get is, hammered and getting hammered getting look really, it up getting, <laughs> getting hammered like getting really drunk basically yes. and they go to these entertainment shows which are provided by the tourist companies or the hotels and the, the entertainment shows are basically kind of variety shows with different forms of entertainment during the evening and there would be a host of the show a bit yes like that is a good way a, of putting it a bit like it was a TV show the host would be there to introduce the acts and to kind of talk to members of the audience to create the right atmosphere and that's a really important job in an, in an entertaining show that like is, that that is exactly what I did well you have to warm up audiences who yeah. you know when once they've they've flown for hours sometimes and they're not in a good mood so you have to get them into a good mood and get them laughing right and uh, lots of hosts or comedians are, uh, or compares are very good singers really and I am uh, shit if I say that <laughs> at singing so I had no choice but be funny and uh-huh. and that's how it started how I got comfortable on stage and um, how did you how, end sorry how did you end up becoming a compare of an entertaining oh, show it's a long, in yes. Tenerife um, it's a long story it's a long story basically yeah, Ah, basic, basic. Oh, I, I used to be a writer, or let's say a wannabe writer. Yeah. And um, in Valencia, I, I, I just lived in my little room and tried to write something meaningful and completed a novel that I may now say is crap, probably. You, you actually wrote a novel? Yes, and it's, I know now why it's bad. It wasn't very good, but basically, for years, I tried to be an artist and deprived myself of, you know, going, living. of living, of speaking to people, and I'm, I'm very much a people's person, yeah. and I need people around me so at some point on a whim I, I was looking for a job yeah and saw a, a job ad at the job center for hotel entertainers in Mallorca right. and basically very much like I said on a whim very suddenly I decided that's what I was going to do just get out of my life and do something completely different so basically you, you, you're an artist and you, you writer and you weren't making any money you, you, needed no. a, you needed a job and you saw an advertisement for a hotel entertainer and you thought right I'll just do that and, and that's, that's and pretty that's brave. how I kind of ended up on stage then because right. there yeah, I had to do sports but only you know did lots of comedy shows or game shows yeah. and that's what I did for half a year okay while at the same time studying philosophy it's it's all a bit strange you were studying philosophy too yes I'm a so master of philosophy because there's nothing more useful in economically okay yeah They're probably the, one of the most uh, less uh, practical subjects yes. that you can study philosophy okay so in the end yeah. you ended up with sort of years of, of uh, stage experience exactly. as an entertainer let's say yes and then you, then you came to London 
right? Yes, exactly. And you, you, you continue to perform on stage in, here in London. That's right. And because London is the comedy capital of the world... Yes, I mean, it is, it is isn't it? I, I've, I've been told that it is. Yeah. I've been told by quite a few people who've been to New York and say that New York can't compete with, uh, with London yeah. in uh, how much comedy is going on and how, what quality comedy is. Of, of course, when we talk about Chris Rock, he yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the big American comedians are great, yeah. but if you want to grow up and become a comedian, then as far as I'm aware, London is the yeah. place to be. It's like there are so many opportunities to do yes. comedy here in London. It's, it's fantastic. And yeah, I think like, there are probably 80 or 90 open mics per week. That is, I'm very sure that that is more than in really? all of Germany combined. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's that. incredible, actually. That's incredible. I should be doing more of those open mics. <laughs> yeah. In fact, um, okay, so. You, you, Basically, you came to London. You've been in comedy here because London is like the place to do stand-up comedy, right? So, and and how long have you, you've been doing comedy in London for two years? Why? Uh, this is maybe a stupid question, but why are you doing stand-up comedy? Now, I, I I do stand-up myself, and I meet a lot of people who are doing stand-up, and actually, a lot of my friends ask me, why did you decide to start doing stand-up comedy? So, I want to ask you that. Uh, Paco, why did you start doing stand-up comedy? It's in a way, it's kind of a crazy thing to do because it's really difficult. Yeah, it, it is. It is a strange question because it's it's not quite like like you say one day. You know what? I want to be a comedian, and then you do it, and uh, yeah. it's just, I kind of you know slipped into it. You know, I was an entertainer first, and I was a host. But I've always been somebody who wants. I want to express my opinions. I want to. Make make a difference in in some way, and well now that I'm in it, uh, I can say that you know, stand-up comedy is fantastic, in in um, in many ways because it, you are really in control of more or less everything. You yeah. you write what you want to say. You can really do it from from the heart. It's very immediate. You don't yeah. have to play anything. You can really. Um, write your things, then perform them. Basically, be your own director too, because you have to review how you say something on yeah, stage and how yeah. you act on stage, um, and everything's under your control and you're in touch with the audience at the same time. So, uh, no two nights are the same. Mm. You always have a different audience who react differently. You have to be spontaneous as well. It's it's uh, there's a good book on stand-up comedy called uh, Zen and the Art of Stand-up Comedy, really? and I think the title is very well chosen because it is a bit of of Zen, of even in a way that you can't really plan what's going to happen. You yeah. have to be in the moment and you know, have an empty head, just being well ready to react <laughs> at any uh, at any second. You have your written material, but at the same time you have to be spontaneous. You have to see what's going on in the audience. You have to be ready to abandon your material you do something different somebody drops a glass you better say something about that otherwise yeah. people will think well are you just reciting material you know, just yeah. written stuff and you don't want to seem like that so it's it's, it's very it's, 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 it's hard to say it's so much interesting stuff that enters into it yeah. acting writing being with people and also the thrill of being on the stage, of course, yeah. and having everybody look at you. So yeah. probably I just want to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very concise answer. I guess it's true there are so many different aspects to performing stand-up comedy. 
that um, it makes it a really invigorating, exciting kind of performance to I do. I would agree. And yes. when it works, when you actually make the whole room laugh, yeah, there's no feeling quite like it. It's an incredible thrill, and when everybody laughs and you sort of sometimes you just have the right timing and you say the next thing just at the right point so you you play with your audience and mm. you just you rise them higher and higher and the energy rises and your energy goes out to them and theirs comes back and it's just yeah. it's orgasmic wow, wow. Okay. <laughs> so it is it is it is great okay. and um okay. yeah and it's so you're doing it because it's like a great sort of buzz, like a real rush of it's excitement to do. Buzz, it. and it allows me to express things and well, be an artist. To be honest, I want to. I don't just want to be. Not. I, or, or, I also want to make points. Yeah, you want to actually say something to yes, people. Yes, something important. Okay. Well, what I consider important. It yeah. might be rubbish for everybody else. But that, that's an opportunity for you to kind of basically give some kind of message to people yes okay Uh, don't you feel nervous doing stand-up in in another language because like I mean I do stand-up in my first language and I feel really nervous before I do it and I do you yeah I do and and I feel nervous during it sometimes unless it's going well then I'm fine (laughs) but I I I think about it if I've got a performance I think about it for days in advance, thinking about oh, what exactly am I going to say, and I pore over mm. word for word what I'm going to do, and I worry about it too much. Maybe that's just me, but isn't it really hard to do that in a second language or a third language, even? Um, or a second language for you? I have done it in my third language, actually. Really? I did yeah, Spanish. I did it in Spanish in Buenos Aires uh, one and a half years ago, and it worked pretty well, actually. But I, I can't remember how, how nervous I was. Um, but normally, may, may I ask, how many gigs have you done? I've done, I think it's about 50. Okay, I'm on like 49, 50 gigs. All right, okay, that, that's, that's a pretty good number, I think. Well, I think, I think I still get nervous when it's a really important gig and I know that some important promoter is looking at me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'd still get nervous, but not so much on stage, but rather before. Really? I used to be incredibly nervous, and yeah. especially in Tenerife when I... Um, I did comedy there and I didn't do very well because, you know, it's very, very uneducated audiences there. I mean, those um, English tourists. Well, yeah, lovely, lovely people, really, but um, not really, well, my comedy wasn't exactly for them, so I tried to adapt and yeah. do theirs, which is very, lots of sexism, racism, and some very dodgy things entering into that, yeah. and um, very crude stereotypes of the Germans. And since I hated what I did, I think if you if you know what you want to say you uh, I mean, if you know what you want what you want to say and nobody laughs you can still say well still I expressed what I wanted I can go you know out of here with my you know, back straight with my head up yeah. high and um, I don't I don't really care so that okay. gives you that way you're, you're less nervous yeah. but if you say something just to in a way of you know, please laugh I just I make yeah. this joke for you then then you basically have nothing to go by if they don't laugh then then you're just an idiot who yeah. tried yeah. and basically that's what happened to me in the in the Tenerife a few times and my knee was visibly shaking really? and it was I've never been so nervous in my life I don't think I have a, it has much to do with the language to be honest really if you speak the language well and I speak English pretty well yeah um, because I'm used to it I, I, of course I will never speak English quite like an English, you know, like a, a native English, speaker. Yeah. 
um, not nearly but never quite uh, I guess but good enough to me I can play with words I can, yeah. can have a laugh with the language I can bend it to, to, to my needs and I'm yeah. comfortable in, in it I feel at home in it yeah um, it would actually make me nervous and more nervous to uh, to do um, stand-up comedy in German really? because I've I've done it once or twi- once or twice and I'm simply I have good material in English good jokes in English yeah. and I know they work and I know my attitude with them I know how I deliver them and know how to react to audiences in German. Um, <clears throat> structure of sentences is difficult yeah. word melody you know, the, uh, the melody of the language is, is a different word or like lots of different things you can't just translate it you have to rewrite it all anew do you think that uh, <clears throat> maybe this is just my imagination but do you think that English in terms of its structure and the intonation and everything do you think that it suits comedy I'm not sure. I know that famously um, comedian Stuart Lee, who some might be familiar with, yeah. um, said about the German language that it didn't lend itself to comedy so much because um, it, because of German sentence structure, um, the punchline sometimes had to be delivered be- before the end of the sentence. Right, right. I don't agree with that. I think you can always uh, you can always construct the sentence in a way that that doesn't happen. Yeah. May- maybe a little bit. I'm not sure, but. Uh, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I used to think that. Um, well, when I lived in America, I was uh, very much into rap. I still like it. And yeah, when I came rap, back, there was hip hip hop. Yes, yeah. that's. When I came back, I thought hip hop in Germany was horrible, and it was just ridiculous. German hip hop. Yeah. In German. In German. Yeah. And I thought well, it's just probably just the language. It doesn't lend itself to to hip hop. It's just not good for it. Yeah. But now there are some fantastic artists uh, who do uh, hip hop in German. And it's it's perfect. It's wonderful. It's poetry. It's brilliant. And I think it's the same with comedy. I I, I think that we have even on TV have lots of crap comedians in Germany. Yeah. But I don't think it's a, the language's fault. I'm not. Yeah. Not sure. But it's not the fault of the language. It's more the fault of. It's more just something in the culture which means that people are less receptive to it like I, I, I wonder why in many other countries stand up comedy is not as big as it is mm. because in England like I recently went to the comedy store yeah. which for listeners is like London's number one stand up comedy venue or, or one of the one of the best comedy mecca yeah. it's like well. mecca for stand up comedy and I was in there and it's just incredible atmosphere for like two and a half hours the show goes on for two and a half hours the whole audience is just totally gripped by laughter for two and a half hours and you come out exhausted and and like it's an amazing experience and there are comedy shows all over the country comedy venues that do the same thing and it's such a big thing why is it not so big in other countries um i'm not sure i know that it exists in in spain and argentina definitely in germany because it is there and people like it i just think well there ha- and there were there have been very good comedians in the in the sixties and uh, whether well, was well Heinz Erhard I mean now when you listen to him it's a bit very old school yeah. and well Heinz Erhard and Jürgen von der Lippe is still very good I think uh, and Otto Walkers when he was young now he's well he used to be he used to be very good though and and they were great they didn't even call themselves comedians yet uh, they called themselves some German term I don't even quite know yeah but. Um, 
but uh, then about 10 years ago um, stand-up comedy all yeah. of a sudden called this came came over from uh, from England or was imported by German television all of a sudden there was a wave of uh, this this new thing called comedy yeah. which wasn't really uh, being funny I mean there's lots of there are lots of German, funny Germans yeah. I mean don't you know don't get that wrong yeah but uh, all of a sudden it was this this hype and the, the media created something huge that they simply didn't have the resources for. All of a sudden, comedians were on telly. That is simply not very funny. But people love them anyway. And I really think people, if you knew how good comedy can be, is that there's such a, such a thankful audience. It's, yeah. oh, it's so, painful. So basically, um, there became a cult, uh, a kind of, uh, comedy became a kind of culture, um, I guess. It's like, an imposed by the media. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it becomes an industry, I mean. Yes, yeah, an industry, but without the right people to, because it definitely is an interest industry here, yeah. but you have very, very good people to fulfill those roles of, of being funny. And I yeah. think in Germany, I think they're probably much funnier people in uh, in the in the little clubs. Yeah. And I think in, in general, I don't know if it's the same with television here in, uh, in Britain, that... I believe German television seems to think that a large majority of their viewers are stupid and they want simple, stupid things. But I don't. I, I think if they were a lot more clever and better quality, people will still get it. So it's, it's something to do with the broadcasting culture which we have in the UK. Maybe like the BBC yes. with, their, with their unique... The, the unique way that the BBC broadcasts like quite sort of um, original things something to do with that possibly <laughs> yeah it's possible I'm, I'm not sure I'm not fam familiar enough with um, how television works exactly yeah. here but I think that there are more programs for clever people or even for that, that that they simply expect more from their viewers. Well, don't get me wrong. X Factor is crap. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not rubbish. It's not well. It's it's really well done, but it's simply targeted at the non-thinking so, masses. To be honest, these days, Paco, I think there are more um, that TV has been dumbed down quite a lot, and a lot of the content you get on TV is really well, rubbish. That's probably but the word I was looking for. I think television in Germany is dumbed down even yeah. a lot more than yeah. here, and that's I what mean, pains me. Is it is it because in Germany you have like is there any national TV? I mean, do you is it all private? Oh, yes. Is it they all private channels with advertising? Well. Are there any no yeah. oh, non yeah, they're, advertising they're, Absolutely, channels? yeah, but they're they're struggling. Their their audiences are, are ancient. They're just really, really old. And I don't know what they're doing wrong, but there's something not, just not quite... I think it could be a lot better, and I don't really want to tell those people how to, yeah. do, to do their jobs, because they probably know very well why, why they do what they do. Yeah. I just know that comedy that I see on German television, and those people probably earn millions, and I sit in front of them, and without forcing myself not to laugh, I simply think, this is lame. So there's just, Why are you trying yeah. to make me laugh with that? Yeah. Okay. Please stop. Really? <laughs> Sometimes. You know, there are a few good things. I mean, there are a few very good things, yeah. but few. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so then we've just been talking about comedy and the question of why is comedy such a big industry here in the UK? Why is it less big as an industry in other countries? Maybe it's something to do with broadcasting standards or, or culture of broadcasting or something. But anyway, um, we're going to move on now to talk about your comedy um, 
Paco. Okay. Now, um, you're, you're at the moment, I know you're very busy. I am. You're, you're preparing for a show, right? Now, yes. you're doing, you're doing the, we, the biggest comedy festival in the country is Edinburgh. The Edinburgh in the world, festival. even isn't it? Is it in the world? I think, so. yeah. I think Montreal might be a little bit got, bigger, but that's just very industrial. Montreal in Canada, and there's another one in Australia. Adelaide, I think. Adelaide. Mel- Melbourne is there Mont- too. But I'm yeah. not sure. Sorry to interrupt. But, but, but. but Edinburgh, I think, is probably the biggest. Yeah, let's say the biggest in the world. Let's yeah. just say it. It sounds not? better. Yeah. Screw it. Um, so you're preparing to actually do an Edinburgh show. Are you doing the whole month? Uh, I am. Yes. Except wow. I will have Saturdays off. Okay, because that's a lesson from last year when we didn't have any any day off. And right, it was just it's very hard. So that's so. twenty shows, is it? I think it was yeah, twenty-two or something. Plus, of course, all the little spots that you do, like the ten-minute spots to show yourself in other places. Yeah. So I think I did in a month like sixty, seventy gigs yeah. or something like that. Wow, a lot. So ba- basically, if you work in comedy, if if you're a sort of serious comedian or serious a comedy performer Edinburgh is where you go in August every year the whole of August in Edinburgh is devoted to the comedy show if you're a tourist and you're interested in going to the UK and you're going to be in the UK in August you have to go to Edinburgh Uh, yes you have to basically there's so many things so many entertaining things happening so many stand-up shows going on in the city of Edinburgh in August that it's really fantastic and and so Paco you're, you're at the moment preparing yourself to perform there like almost every night of the week um, yes. in in August right so so tell us about your show what's the show about well um, my show is called uh, my, my five step guide to being german F- the five step guide to being german okay that's it for for this part of the interview if you want to find out more about his show about the five step guide to being german and more details about sort of intercultural Um, communication, cultural understanding, particularly about German and British stereotypes, then listen to the next episode of this podcast. You'll be able to listen to the rest of the interview there. That's it from me today. Have a very nice morning or afternoon or evening or night or whatever it is you're doing. Cheers from me. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget you can email me at luketeacher at hotmail.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humor and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.